The baby was wrapped in cloths and placed in a manger. The shepherds lit up the night sky, the fields, as they sang praises to God, singing glory to God in the highest. The shepherds hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger, just as it had been told to them. The magi, the wise men, were coming from the east and they were coming with gold, frankincense, and myrrh, searching for the newborn king. We love the Christmas story, don't we? It's peaceful. It's joyful. It fills us with happiness in that silent night. And yet, there's a dark story from that very first Christmas. Joseph woke up from a dream. But it wasn't just a dream, it was a warning from God. Somebody was trying to kill the baby. And it wasn't just somebody, it was King Herod, the king in Jerusalem. Why? Because he heard about this newborn king, supposedly the king of the Jews, and that was a problem because Herod was the king of the Jews. And so God warned Mary and Joseph that Herod was coming to kill the baby, and so Joseph got up, packed everything up, and took off for Egypt. Herod entered Bethlehem looking for Jesus, but he didn't know what Jesus looked like. He didn't know what Mary and Joseph looked like, but it didn't matter because his orders would take care of that problem as he ordered his soldiers to kill every baby boy, two years old, and younger in Bethlehem. Suddenly that silent night, filled with peace, filled with joy, filled with smiling and and singing of songs, turned dark. Suddenly the, the, the voices that sang praises to God filled with sobs as tears streamed down parents' faces as the screams throughout Bethlehem could be heard as parents had their two-year-old or younger boys ripped from their hands and murdered in front of them. This is what King Herod did. It's a dark story, and it's a sad story. Maybe one of the saddest in all of Scriptures. And so let me ask you, Is what King Herod did good? I don't think a single one of us sitting here would say yes. We would all say no. And I think as you ask people throughout the world, as you show your friends this story, and you ask them the same question, is what King Herod did good? I think they would have a hard time saying yes too. And yet would you be surprised that if you don't have a biblical worldview, which means that atheism is is correct, that there is no God, and that we come from evolution, so we evolve over time and we've mutated over time, would you be surprised that if you hold that worldview, you really have no reason why for what Herod would... uh, You have no reason for why it's not good what Herod did. If you don't have a biblical worldview, you can't look at what King Herod did and say, that's wrong. You can say you don't prefer it, but you can't say 
he was wrong. Why? Well, if we're just cells that have mutated over time, what's our purpose in life? To survive. To have fun. To have pleasures of this world. And isn't that what King Herod is doing? He's ensuring the fact that he is on the throne. He's making sure that he continues to have pleasures in this life. And in order to do so, he's got to kill the baby Jesus. And so he's doing what he needs to do to survive. And you can say, well, now, hang on. It's, it's better for the community. It's better for society if we follow rules and we do have some morality. But again, if all I am is a bunch of cells that have mutated over time, why should I care about my community? There is no good reason if you don't have a biblical worldview, why Herod was wrong. And yet that doesn't sit right with us, does it? We know when we look at this story that Herod was wrong, that it was evil, not good. And the reason is because of what the Bible talks about. What we heard about in Romans chapter 2. An all-powerful God, an almighty God who is the ultimate authority, who has created the world, created us, has put His law on our hearts. And He has let us know what is good and what is evil. And so the question we want to focus on today is not what is good, but rather, is God good? If God is good, then we need to listen to Him. If God isn't good, then He needs to be dismissed. And we need to find goodness for ourselves. And so is God good? It's what Adam and Eve were faced with, that question, in the Garden of Eden. If you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, let me recap for you where we're at. Beginning of Genesis chapter 2, we zoom in on day 6 of creation where we see God create mankind. He creates Adam as a potter creates clay. He takes the clay and he, he molds the clay and shapes the clay and out of it comes Adam. And then he takes Adam and, and he puts him to sleep. He, he, puts him, he sedates him and he has a first surgery and he builds Eve. Like a carpenter builds a house, he builds Eve from Adam, and they are the crown of his creation. They are the top. They are God's special creation that he created above everything, created to rule over everything. They were his special crown of creation. Last week we saw that their purpose was to glorify God in everything that they did, that God put them in the garden to do three things. One, have meaningful work. Two, have a meaningful relationship with God, and three, to have a meaningful relationship with each other, with others. And in this garden, God filled it with all goodness as He has fruit of all different kinds. He has trees of all different kinds. He has a pleasing garden. And in the middle of the garden, there was one tree that God said, don't eat from, otherwise you will die. It's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the only command that Adam and Eve had to follow. And why did God do that? 
we, we talked about last week, it's because that allowed them to have a meaningful relationship with God. As they passed by the tree, it was their way of saying, God, I love you. And I choose to love you. They weren't robots. They weren't forced to love God. They got to choose to love God in the garden. And in Genesis chapter 3, they get faced with the question, is God good? And so let's open up. We're in Genesis chapter 3. We're beginning with verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. So apparently what's going to happen here is, is Satan possesses a snake. That's what happens. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat, fruit, eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent, the devil, approaches Adam and Eve, and he says, did God really say? What is he trying to do? Create doubt, yes. He's trying to get them to eat the fruit, yes. But ultimately, what is his goal by asking this question? Is God good? He's trying to get them to doubt the goodness of God. This is a lie that's behind every temptation. Every temptation you and I face, it's the same lie. Is God good? If He's good, then follow His law. If He's not good, then dismiss it and do what you think is good. And this is what Satan is getting Adam and Eve to try to, to doubt. Is God good? Did God really say you can't eat fruit from any tree? No, we can eat fruit from any tree, just not the one in the middle. You're not going to die, Eve, if you eat from it. Are you sure you can trust God? You see, if, at, if Satan can get Adam and Eve to doubt the goodness of God, he can point to that tree in the middle of the garden, and what can he say? God doesn't want you to eat from it because God's envious of you. He doesn't want you to rise up and be better than him. He wants to keep you in your place. See, God's not a good God. He's a dictator that wants to control your life. And isn't this the lie that we still see throughout the world today? Satan whispers it to us. He whispers it to the world. If God isn't good, then who decides what is good? Me. And this is what Adam and Eve were facing. It's the greatest lie that Satan has ever told, and it's your first point this morning. It's Satan's greatest lie. God is not good. It's the lie behind every lie that Satan tells you. God isn't good. And Adam and Eve looked at the fruit that God told them not to eat from, and they came to the conclusion, God isn't good. What is good? This fruit that looks so good to eat. This fruit that apparently is good for gaining knowledge. 
Suddenly it wasn't God's word that was good, and it wasn't God that was good, it was what they felt was good. This is the lie that God or that Satan still whispers to us today. Where in your life is Satan trying to get you to doubt God's goodness? What temptations is he whispering to you, getting you to question the goodness of God and to go out on your own? His greatest lie is to believe, is to make us believe that happiness and a fulfilling life is apart from God's goodness, apart from God. And we see that in our life too as he whispers to us. We know that God says to honor marriage and respect marriage. And we know that's true. But then there's a part of us that doesn't want to. The part that doesn't want, to keep, want us to want to keep ourselves pure from marriage. The part of us that when we're with our friends decides not to honor our spouse but talk poorly about our spouse. There's a part of us that knows that God is good but then Satan whispers to us and we say, you know what? I know God wants me to keep their, their reputation good but this gossip is just too juicy. I, I need to tell somebody even if it's going to hurt their reputation. We know that God is good, but how would you fill in the blank? Where in your life is Satan whispering, God isn't good? He tells you to do this, but you'd be a lot happier if you did this. You see, if God can get us to earth, oh man, that is the devil right there, I'll tell you that much. If the devil can get us to doubt God's goodness, what can we do with God? Dismiss Him. Dismiss Him. And we decide what is good. And if we decide what is good, then there's nothing off the table. But we don't like that either. Because as we look around the world, we can't help but say, no, 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 those things are bad. That's clearly wrong. And yet, if it's up to us to decide what is good, we can't say that's bad. And so, is God good? Adam and Eve said no, and they ate from the tree. And we do that at times, too. And so, let's see how our God responds to their lack of trust. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, 
and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, all, uh, you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Notice how God responds. Adam and Eve eat from the tree. They decide, God's, you know what, God's not good. This fruit is good. I'm going to eat it. And they ate it. And what does God do? God comes into the garden, walking. And as soon as he does, what does Adam and Eve do? They go and hide. Because why? God's law, written on their heart. They know what they did was wrong. It wasn't good. And so they went and hide. They went and hid. And here comes God. And, and what does God do? He doesn't come with revenge. He doesn't come with anger. God comes with gentle questions. Where are you? Why, who told you that you're naked? Have you eaten from the tree? What is this you have done? Our good God doesn't come with anger and rage. He comes gently. And notice what Adam and Eve thought the right thing to do was. Blame God. Blame each other. Blame Satan. And our good, good God responds. And how does he respond? Again, not in anger. He takes it all in and he turns to the devil. And he allows Adam and Eve to overhear this conversation between God and the devil. And what does God say? Cursed are you above all livestock. You will crawl on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. Well, side note, Maybe a little interesting tidbit. Maybe in the garden, it's possible that snakes had little legs like lizards and they weren't just crawling all the time and that after this, their legs went away and now they're crawling on their bellies. But then, the more important part of this is what God says in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity, hatred, between you, Satan, and the woman and between her offspring and yours. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This verse is what the entire Bible is about. You can call it its thesis statement. This is it. The rest of Scripture is fulfilling this verse right here. Someone coming from Eve's line that is going to crush Satan's head. Yes, his heel will be struck, but Satan's head will be crushed. His work will be undone. And that came true on that very first Christmas. Jesus, God's own Son, born into the world, born from the woman's line, born with one purpose, to crush Satan's head. Jesus, God's own Son, born into a world, for a world, that rejects the goodness of God. That looks at God with a skeptical eye that shows through their actions that they don't believe that God is good, but what they think is good, and that's what they do. Born into a world who thought what was good was killing God Himself. The greatest illustration of Genesis 3.15 is seen in the picture I'm about to show you. Because when the world thought that it was good to kill God, 
What God actually accomplished was the ultimate goodness of our God. It's right here. This picture illustrates Genesis 3.15. Our Savior, born into the world, and was crucified. And yet when that nail went through his, through his foot, yes, his heel was struck, but Satan's head was crushed. Satan's work of accusing you of sin, of tempting you to fall into sin and doubt the goodness of God, undone. Satan's work of accusing you of all the times that you have doubted God's goodness, done. Undone. Our good, good God promised a Savior and our good, good God sent that Savior for you and for me. And as our Savior died on that cross, our good, good God forgave you. You now stand in peace before God. We doubt His goodness. God proves His goodness again and again. You want to see the goodness of God? Look at the promise that God made to Adam and Eve. That's actually your second point today. God made a, the good promise. The good promise. And that's what we see in Genesis 3.15. If you want to see the goodness of God, look at this section. Adam and Eve doubt the goodness of God. And God shows His goodness by making a promise to save them. We doubt the goodness of God, and God says, look at this. I sent my Son to die for your sins. You want to know if I'm good? Look at what I've done for you. I am your good, good God who has saved you. This changes everything. We know that our God is good. Not just because of His words, but because of His actions. Because our God has defeated Satan. Our God has defeated sin. We know that He is a good, good God. And it changes the way we view Him, the way we view His commands, and the way we view our world. Number one, it changes the way we view God. God's goodness shows that He's not a dictator, that He's not just interested in laws. Our God loves you and me, and He is a good, good God. Number two, it changes the way we view God's commands. It's your third point today. Since God is good, what He says is good. No longer are God's commands a way to just keep us down. No longer are God's commands something that He just wants to make our life hard. No. God has given us His commands and His Word because it's for our good. And so it changes the way I view them. Now I want to carry them out. Now I want to live them. Now I want to do them, not because it earns God's favor, but because God is so good, I know that what He commands is good. It protects me. It protects others. It protects my soul. It protects other souls. That's why He's given me these commands. And then number three, All of this changes the way I view the world. All of it changes the way I engage the world. Just a note, there's a huge push in Christendom right now, in the Christian church, for churches to be standing up and speaking against the immorality in our country and in our society. 
And is there a point that we should do that? Yes. But understand that what is going to change hearts? It's not you and me winning an argument about morality. Because honestly, what did we just see today? You and I who know Jesus, you and I who know that our good God is good, there's still the sinful part of us that has a skeptical eye towards God. And if that's true for you and me, imagine what it's like for people who don't know Jesus. Satan is whispering like crazy to them, and their only view of God is negative, is skeptical, is that he's not good, if they have any view at all. And so how can we say, here's what our good God says that we should be doing and how we should be living if they first don't think that God is good? If you want to change our culture, if you want to change the immorality that we're seeing, it starts by letting people know about our good, good God and what He's done. It starts by showing them Genesis 3.15. It starts by showing them the picture of what our God did for us by sending His one and only Son so that we are forgiven. That's where it starts. It's showing the goodness of God, the morals, and what is right and what is good follows that. Because that's what we've seen in our life, isn't it? That's what we continue to see in our life. As the cross reminds us of the goodness of God, it changes our hearts to want to live for Him, to want to follow Him, to want to live the goodness of God, and to stop looking at Him with a questioning eye and a skeptical eye, but look for, at the God for who He is, our good, good God. But that only comes when we look at Genesis 3.15. It only comes as we look at the cross of Christ, where His heel was struck, but Satan's head was crushed, so that you stand forgiven and dearly loved by your good, good Father in heaven. May this motivate us to go out and engage our culture and show the goodness of our God, because He is good. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we know that you are good not just because you say that you are good, but because you have proved it. You prove it time and time again in our lives, but we see it most clearly at the cross of Christ where you gave up your one and only Son for us, for people who at times question your goodness, who look at you with a skeptical eye and and wonder whether your commands are good. We ask for your forgiveness, and we know that we are because of Jesus, because of the cross. There Satan's head was crushed. There forgiveness is won. And now He can't accuse us anymore. Because of Your love, because of Your goodness, we ask that You motivate us to, one, uh, follow Your laws, to follow Your commands and live for You knowing that uh, they are good for not only us, but for others. And then as we engage our culture, uh, help us to realize that what's going to change our heart is Your goodness, the Gospel, which is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Let that be what we're concerned about first, And then the goodness and the morals follow that naturally. Be with us as we do this and accomplish this all for your name's sake. Amen.